classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown with Paul Getz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Accordion. Hello and welcome, uppers and downers, to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, Paul Getz. With me are my co-hosts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni. Go ahead and prove you're here, guys. Ayo. Present. <laughs> if this is the first time you're joining us, the way it works is we take a movie with either no sequel or a sequel that is dissed and dismissed by its magically delicious predecessor and each take a swing, swing at coming up with a good, better, or best continuation. Our guest today is an exciting one. He is a friend and co-writer performer of mine from college. He is now a licensed clinical psychologist. Last time I saw him was at a friend's wedding. Adam Hoffbauer. Hey, Adam. Hey, well, licensed clinical social worker, but we are Shit. all in the ring there. Paul, I wrote I'm, it down. Why are you even asking the guests beforehand if you're just going to wing it when you hit? You know record. what? It was a complicated answer. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm gonna retake that. No, I'm not. I'm just going to let everybody know how much I screwed up. Sorry, not licensed clinical social worker. My apologies, Adam. And it is great to see you. Yeah, no, I think I appreciate the running gag in the show of things you say you're going to edit out and then don't. Those are usually Travis things, which I do out of spite. But another reason is it's exciting you're here is that it comes with a backstory. When we posted our first ever episode, Congo, Adam messaged me on Instagram stating that he already had a trilogy pitch in his back pocket for the movie we're here to talk about today, 1999's She's All That. So uh, let's start with probably what's the most important question we could possibly ask about this movie. Is she all that? Yeah, um, I think absolutely. she was already all that. Agreed. I, I agree that she oh. is all that. Adam? Um, I pulled out a notebook, everybody. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to go over uh, overly familiar territory with this movie. It kind of is what it is. Uh, it, it, it kind of lived in the zeitgeist for a second. And there's a lot. It, it's been talked about. There are some weird elements to it that I'm excited to get to as, as I found it to be kind of written by and for no one. Um but uh, easy answer, yes. Uh, she's all that, but I have a, a an alternative casting note that I think would have made the movie sub substantially better. All right. Well, that is very exciting. I'm going to ask that we table the discussion of the movie for just a couple more seconds to go over a couple other exciting things about today's episode. At the request of our guest, Adam, today's episode is going to, for the second time in our history, have a studio executive role. And that ex studio executive today is going to be Travis. I am very scared. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. One more thing before we get in, get really get into the nitty gritty here. I wanted to introduce a new segment for and by the listeners. We've had a few people write in with suggestions over the course of our episodes, and so I call this our listener log. You sent something in to the listener's log. Now let's check in on the listener's log. I'm going to very quickly. What's that, Travis? What? What? Where are they writing? To whom? Care of what? 
They're writing to us on Instagram. Oh, like comments? Yes. Okay. I Wait, just what's your problem? I feel like the context and framing is a little important there. No one's... Okay. Okay. Oh. Yes. <laughs> well, I do wish we had more of this, and so I'm sort of trying to encourage it as of today with this segment. Oh, I'm very excited, so don't listen to Travis. I've interrupted this bit. So we have two from a friend of ours. I'm not sure if Travis and Lauren know him, but I know Adam does. Sean Gartner. Mm. Um, as a response... Like today's episode, uh, may have some strong feelings about if he listens. Uh, yes, I hope. I sure hope so. I hope. I hope he's still listening. I know he's listened to a few because on our Meet the Fockers episode, he commented with a, I mean, title only pitch of Mary Fokker Kill, <laughs> which I thought was pretty fantastic. My initial thought for what that would be about would be possibly Robert De Niro's character Jack wanting to kill the Greg Fokker character as opposed to let him marry his daughter, something like that. I, I'm going to just kind of pull a um, Mickey Blue Eyes and I want to, or an Analyze This, I want to introduce a mob element to it somehow. And because mm. um, I don't want it to be like De Niro going like, Why, I, I, I want to kill you. I want it to be someone like screwing a silencer onto a gun going like, I'm going to kill Ben Stiller. It could be the Owen Wilson character wanting to kill him. Absolutely. Because he's in love with Pam. I was picturing it more of like a name. Like, kill would be spelled like K-H-I-L or K-I-H-L. Oh. And it'd be Nero's ex-wife, who he was in the the service with, but she kept his name, so her name is Mary Fokker hyphen kill. That's amazing. But his name is in Fokker. That's Ben Stiller's name. Oh, shit, you're right. Get out of here, Lauren. Okay, his... <laughs> his his ex-wife. Girlfriend's the name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, I mean, right. it, there's something. We'll work there. it out, but that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, to you. mine from that pitch, yeah. Another uh, write-in we had uh, in reference to the house guest episode came from a high school friend of mine, Charlie Schleeser. He wrote that he would like for there to be a premise in which the Sinbad and Phil Hartman characters accidentally kill or otherwise dispatch the mobsters that are chasing them. And then upon finding out that more mobsters are on the way, must them, for some reason, pose as mobsters themselves and this would be called house guest two in the family referring to the mafia family paul yes has anyone commented that i should be winning more often or 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 that i'm good or or anything of that nature there was like one post from like a um, a, account an account with just one post and it was called (laughs) like travin mcmaster so So far it has only been my friends writing in but again i'm doing this to try to encourage listeners Please, if you like the show, if you have other opinions, even if you just want to say which pitch you think should have won, probably not Travis's, just write to us on Instagram at the Follow Up Showdown or on Twitter at the Follow Up Pod. And then the last one that I wanted to bring up was also Sean Gartner, who, in response to our Return of Jafar episode, suggested a runaway child prequel called Jafar from Home. So, yeah, no, nobody mm. wants to muse on that a little bit more. I've put all my energy into it. That sequel over the past two weeks. I have nothing left. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I think uh, easy premise is it gives you a reason why Jafar is so nasty. Not that that matters because he's too nasty to be uh, sort of redeemable. Or just a problem child movie. Problem child with Jafar killing people instead of Yeah, I want that. That's much better. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's funny. In any case... Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for writing in. Please do so more. We, we, we will put it on the show, and Travis will be nice about it next time. 
Next time I will be nice about it, yeah. <laughs> okay, so then moving right into A Minute with McMaster. A Minute with McMaster. Travis, are you ready to break down this movie in one minute? Sort of. With that said, Adam, we do offer this honor oh. to the guests if they want it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Okay. Yes. Wow. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, history being made again. Adam, let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. Go. Uh, I I'm going to steal a quote from another podcast, which I won't name, uh, but this is uh, My Fair Lady with Narcissists. Hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Or maybe My Fair Lady with Morons. Um, the uh, the jilted king of a high school in Los Angeles decides he's going to uh, gaslight a powerfully artistic young woman into a uh, position of power, which leads to a heated political uh, campaign uh, with only two candidates, uh, in which ultimately... Um, uh, the, the young man learns to embrace himself uh, in a way that perhaps he wasn't expecting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, wow, you, you had all kinds of time left, but that is a oh, very poetic way of putting out what is ultimately a very uh, simple plot. Yeah. You could have uh, Adam do all of the McMaster minutes. Let's have him call in. The Hoffbauer Hour. We could... <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm trying to think of anything uh, super key to note that wasn't in there. Uh, their names are Zach and Laney. Paul Walker plays his evil friend, Dean, who he makes the bet with. I guess the bet wasn't brought up. Well, this is implied in the My Fair Lady of it all. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, fair enough. Well, so hopefully everybody's seen My Fair Lady. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I guess let's just get into talking about the movie. How did everybody feel about it uh, back in the day or this time around? What do we feel? I've never seen it. Oh, this was my first movie. Oh, hey, it's home run. I'm very excited to hear that. Uh, so I wasn't sure what to expect. I liked it. It was it was fun. I really enjoyed the energy and the opening credits. Uh, the school from Buffy. Uh, Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a good time. I, I like Freddie Prince Jr. I. I I, I'm just trying to compliment it a lot because I did get a little bored by the end. You know, it's, you know what the movie's going to do. So to a certain degree, you're just kind of watching, watching the clock run out. But I had a good time. All right. Uh, this is very interesting. I, I mean, I had seen it a lot as a kid. Um, I, it was never a favorite of mine, but it was a movie that I watched a lot. Um, it was much worse than I recall. Um, <laughs> watching it this time through and sort of to adam's point this definitely did feel like a movie written by an old man trying to sound young and fresh the song that like is matthew lillard's song in that movie i thought i kept expecting that to be a joke because i felt like in 1999 you know a 21 year old that wouldn't be his song give it to me baby also yeah, yeah. his name right. is brock hudson which i feel oh like yeah i love that detail i have the origin of that name here in my phone. Oh. So the character Brock Hudson was named after a real life student at St. John's school in Houston, Texas, the school where Rushmore was filmed and also where screenwriter R. Lee F Fleming Jr. went to school with Wes Anderson. And there was a student there named Brock Hudson. And 
the phrase, what kind of name is Brock Hudson, is evidently something that was said about him a lot at school. <laughs> so it's like a, it's like a joke for three people. Yeah. I respect it. I mean, it, it worked well enough. You all commented on the name. I mean, I was... Well, there's only three I was us. thinking it was a play on the, the actor. Oh, Rock Hudson. Yeah, yeah. like a modernized version. Yeah. That's what I assume. So I guess it could be a joke for many people. They just don't get it the way they think. Sure. I will say of the things that still work for me in this movie, Rock Hudson works as a character to me perhaps better than he used to. And I always liked that character. Oh, yes. Matthew Lillard, National Treasure. All the things I took away from this is uh, of all of the people in this movie, he is the only person who is putting in what I might call a performance. He is, he is present for every moment that he is expected to be. He he is a, a working actor. I don't think it's any coincidence. He's the only person in this movie to work with David Lynch. I've never seen him give less than a hundred percent. And that includes as shaggy. And, uh, In this role, I felt like his was one of the few roles that worked all the way through. That character, like, in terms of that character's arc, who that character is, how that character affects the movie and the other characters, he, there was nothing about it that I would have cut or changed. Um, Absolutely. He's one of the few people that has, yeah, you're right, a full, complete arc that doesn't feel like a scene is missing. mm -hmm. Um, He feels natural within the strange universe and his tone is consistent with it, which isn't really true of all the characters. I loved that dance sequence that he does. Mm. But I remember as a kid thinking, that's just awesome. And now as an adult, <laughs> I have the uh, the even funnier read that everyone hates it. Huge <laughs> <laughs> embarrassment. Uh-huh. I've seen this movie like I think once whenever I was maybe like 11 or 12. And I didn't remember super much of it, but I did remember impressions from it that as I was watching, I was like, oh, that thing I remembered randomly is from this movie. Mm-hmm. So that happened like a, a couple times during the film. Oh, uh, like whenever the guy puts his pubes on the pizza. Yeah. Uh, I remember that scene, but I could never remember what movie it was from. Uh, what a weird moment. Uh, oh, just, and just, um, I remembered, I was like, huh, I think Funk Soul Brothers oh, in this yeah. scene. And it was like two seconds later. <laughs> Uh, I have I have a lot to say about both of those scenes. The the pube scene, there's so much about it that doesn't work for me. I guess what it seems like is going on is he is so it it seems as though they're scared of him, the bullies. Yeah. Um. But but he's but he's Freddie Prince Jr. Which he even if it was Paul Walker in that role, that would have made more sense. Paul Walker's like right, which works would which would work for the motivations of. His character, because he would then have a chance to impress Lainey, yeah. and then Prince Jr. would feel like, oh, I should have stepped up and done that, but now he's manip- yeah, because he's manipulative. Yeah. It also, yeah, totally doesn't make sense. It, it feels like it's out of Road Trip or something. It's, yeah. it's disgusting. Yeah. I felt more uncomfortable watching it than I felt watching any horror movie of the last few months. Um, and it, it opens with a character with two unexplained uh, hearing aids, uh, <laughs> roller skating around a, a cafeteria, giving people fresh cracked uh, pepper. Fresh, fresh crack pepper. Ground pepper. Yeah. I, at least it serves a, it serves a character beat, but it, yeah, from a uh, it it again makes me ask the question: Who is this for? Yes, and I I don't know that it necessarily fits my old man writing for young people thing, but it does fit. It's just like I could see that it is just a gag that they thought worked in its own right. And thought it would just uh, work for everyone, no matter sort of the context of it. And that you you brought up a couple of points that I want to address. One, 
that I will get into now just because it's quick. And then the other one I feel like is going to ha- warrant some discussion. The writer's notes I have for this movie, it was written by, as I've said, um, R. Lee Fleming Jr. Uh, his other big movie writing credit is the film Get Over It, starring yes. Kirsten Dunst and Cisco. <laughs> and But in 2013, M. Night Shyamalan gave an interview and claimed to have ghostwritten the entire script. Fleming then came out denying this, and on the Blu-ray commentary, the director, Robert Icecove, clarified that Fleming wrote the initial script, Shyamalan was brought in after to punch it up, then Fleming was given the final rewrite to give his unique spin on it. The scenes added by M. Night Shyamalan were the hacky sack art performance scene. Really? Okay. Strong feelings about that scene. Yeah. Best character scene in the movie, in my opinion. I agree. I love that scene. Um, also yeah. the line, I'm, am I a bet? Am I a fucking bet? Also. And the entire yeah. father character, Kevin Pollock's character, came from Great yeah. character. Yep. Uh, so proving just, one thing uh, that M. Kamalan is a very talented artist and everyone can take a couple steps mm-hmm. back. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that you brought up that I feel might warrant a little bit further discussion. What is going on with Simon? I am very confused. Who is Simon? Oh, the kid. Kieran Cole. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think they keep it purposefully vague. I don't know if he goes to the school. I don't know Uh if he has (laughs) mental problems. And I mean, I mean that seriously. It's, uh, It's very confusing. I think you're definitely supposed to sympathize with him and think of him as sort of having a tough time socially. But I really wish they would have given some clarification. I didn't think twice about him. I just thought he was a really quirky character. And um, Kyron Culkin, I thought, did a really fun job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I didn't question. I, as far as, like, the hearing aid, I was like, oh, that's nice for them to represent like that. I didn't well, he's, think anything else. From what I can see, he's younger than everybody at that school. He's maybe the only teenager pl- other than Anna Paquin played by an actual teenager. Sure. Yeah. Be, he could be, like, a freshman. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Uh, maybe I just assumed he was, yeah, like an underclassman or, I don't know, you, you see a kid, you see a school, you move on. I don't know. I mean, know. everything he does, I feel <laughs> I like, guess. is little kid stuff. He makes the drink with, like, a million ingredients in it, and he... My favorite thing is he mm-hmm. gives him a high five with cheese all over his hand and says, oh, yeah. con queso. <laughs> I just sort of took all of that stuff and a lot of other stuff from From this and Empire Records and a little bit Can't Hardly Wait, I always view as like sort of odd transition movies that Mm -hmm. still have a little bit of the 80s hanging on and haven't quite turned into like whatever Mean Girls and and American Pie that we were going to be doing in the 2000s a little bit. So they're Mm -hmm. kind of, it's straddling both and it's sort of uh, an odd mix at times flavor-wise. But I actually really appreciate that because there's a class system that this movie borrows from the 80s, which in and of itself was kind of borrowing from the 50s, which I agree took until about Mean Girls to kind of taper off, in which it's like jocks, uh, nerds, and everyone in between, and there's this strange kind of Eisenhower-era uh, organization of class of like of high school cast structure that now that you mention it yeah it totally does dissipate over the next few years but is uh, it, it it does feel like a transition period out of those tropes yeah I would say 
both movies listed besides this can't really wait in empire records work a little bit better overall than this movie. Yeah. Oh, I, I would put can't hardly wait at the top of this whole cycle yeah. of, of teen films. I think I was this movie's target audience. I think I was about 12 when it came out. I remember it playing on a bus to Washington DC that uh, fucking bet line sticks in my memory as just shocking an entire bus of eighth graders. It's probably the best use of a single F-bomb in any movie I can think of. Um, it was really successful financially. It, it seemed to have gained some sort of foothold, even more so than movies that are uh, substantially better than it is. Yeah, I think it follows the sort of traditional rom-com arc a little bit more closely than those other movies we're, we're talking about. So perhaps that's the audience for those types of things is what gave this movie that sort of extra boost and, and, and made it, I don't know, seem to be more memorable. But I do agree with you that it is, uh, it's, it's nowhere near top tier in my opinion. And this time around, the reason I liked it so much less is uh, one major thing, Zach Seiler, the character, his mm. issue that he's having is that he can get into any college he wants <laughs> His dad says once, where are all the college admission letters? Um, and specifically asks where the Dartmouth one is, but then goes on to talk about the other ones. And then Zach seems to turn this into a reason for him not to decide because he, he thinks his dad is pressuring him to choose a very specific future and he doesn't want that. But the way his arc comes together is... Very quickly in one conversation, Laney says, wake up, you can go to any college. What are you talking about? And then he goes, okay, okay. And that's his whole arc. But my biggest problem with his character is that once everything is set and Laney hates it, like the bet, the truth of the bet comes out, Laney hates him. She goes to the dance with Dean. He does nothing. He doesn't. No. Its biggest problem is that both of its lead characters are extremely passive. I don't think that she makes a single decision on her own through the entire movie. Everything is kind of, she's entered into the uh, race for prom queen by someone else. Uh, she decides to go to prom because Paul Walker shows up. Her big character moment is off screen, which goes back to the fact that it really falls apart in the third arc, in the third act. And we like, there's a lot of messiness that, and we're told things have happened without seeing them. But I, yeah, you're right. He does too. Both of them are characters who things kind of happen to. She has her art portfolio admitted to major colleges by a professor oh, in a late uh, throwaway line. The they dance. both sort of float around without a lot of agency. Yeah. And then people say, hey, you're great. We did this for you. And, uh, and, and they both kind of react to it in, uh, incredulously as, I suppose, late Clinton-era affluent teenagers would by kind of going, oh, okay. <laughs> Well, that's it's interesting because I that you say that I when we watched I was like really taken aback that like first of all I felt like the Paul Walker thing was introduced very late yeah. like the double cross um but I was fine with it I was like okay this is what we're doing we're going with it but the fact that that was wrapped up entirely off screen that would have been I guess to your point like one of the few things she did choose to do and did act right. upon uh was described she put by her air horn up later. to his ear when he tried to, I don't know how bad it got, but he he, he tried to take is advantage that, of her. Is that what happened to her brother? Did she McCulkin? <laughs> she was pissed at him. <laughs> well, my my major hang up about Zach's third act activities are: it starts with 
Lainey yells at him in the hall and says that am I a fucking bet thing and storms off. He then stands there doing nothing, saying nothing. And then Taylor comes up to him and says, pick me up at eight lover. And then he acts as if, well, I no choice. Okay. Then he doesn't pick her up, which, okay, that makes sense. But then at the dance, she finds him immediately says, I forgive you. And they start dancing and they dance for the entire evening without him breaking away from her, trying to talk to Lainey, anything. Then Lainey leaves. Someone tells him that she leaves and he goes to try to find her. He doesn't find her. Instead, he goes to her dad's house. And what does he say to her dad? Because when she comes home and has already taken care of everything herself, her father and brother have forgiven him and love him again. So what could he have said besides, wait, but they weren't, they hadn't just forgiven him. They had an entire conversation that was so boring Culkin fell asleep while I guess Freddie Prince Jr. was standing silently in the living room across from them. <laughs> yes. I, this joins the long list of things in this movie that happen off screen that are far more entertaining. My favorite accidental joke in this movie is where the some high school principal says, in the closest oh election results in this school's yeah. history, 56 to 45 yeah. percent. And you go, what? That's that's an incredible plurality, both in the sense that uh her whole coalition is hinted at to be, I think it includes the prison club and what's, uh, there's a, what looks like a drag queen on her button. And I think they imply that some sort of gay student union is behind her. So they're implying that the underrepresented or disenfranchised folks of the school have risen up in a populist uprising mm -hmm. to support her, but it's still not enough, which makes me assume every year the school does this is they pick a dweeb to be, um, in the, there's only two candidates for prom queen. There's no other candidates for prom king. He runs uncontested. And then usually they pick one, and I guess it's usually a landslide, and that person is just embarrassed in front of everyone a la Carey. Um, but yeah, that line is hilarious, because you're like, that's the closest it's ever been? That's still quite a spread. Well, so how big of a deal is prom at this school? Why are the teachers keeping track of what percentage of votes in the history of the school went to which candidate? That's insane. Let me ask you guys something, because Lauren, Lauren's infamously homeschooled, and I was too cool to go to my prom. So did you, did you guys go to your prom? And if so, how much did it resemble this prom? I did go to my prom. I did not. I went inside too. <laughs> nice. Great evening. I yeah. went to prom a couple times. It what? looked, well, because there's junior and senior prom. Um, no, I mean real prom, Paul. So senior prom. Senior prom. Okay. <laughs> not homecoming. Fine. I went to prom once. Um, As we all do. And it looked enough like this did decorations wise. Was uh, there a king? And queen? Yes. There's always prom court. That is a thing, for sure. Were, were they announced and crowned on in front of you all on the stage? And, yes, and... but I mean, it wasn't, you didn't have to pay attention to that. That was, that was, it's really, I mean, I always thought of it as like, a, that's a thing for the popular kids. That's the thing that, uh. It's kind of a classic example of, of a movie, which this is not a sin this movie is unique in, of everyone in the world being really fixated on the trials and tribulations of a select group of people for no reason. There's a freestyle rap battle about it. It seems to be the only thing on anyone's minds. 
it's it, it was I accept that as just a movie thing as yeah this is what everyone cares about because these are the main characters and everyone in movie universe is kind of dependent on them now one thing that was not like this prom at my prom was the choreographed dance sequence as mentioned before by Lauren to Funk Soul Brother in which I had so many questions about the few of which I wrote down were how many people are participating? Was it coordinated by how many people? Who was invited to participate? It was very unclear to me because in some shots, it looks like Laney is participating, though Zach never is. In some sets, Taylor is right. participating, though, again, Zach never is. Then, most of the time, it looks like just professional dancers. We've never... The main issue is it serves no character function. It is simply... Um, Pump. They're the, uh, unlike the infamously stupid but still uh, characterly serviceable hacky sack scene. It is nothing but spectacle, and and it it gives no one. A, there's no character beats it. Agreed. Yes, and it's yes, it serves no purpose in the overall story. And I do have the backstory on how that happened. Oh, wonderful. so the director of this film, Robert Ice Cove, most known for also directing Boys and Girls, another Pretty Prince Junior movie as well as From Justin to Kelly, and the TV movie Cinderella starring Brandy from back in the day. Um, nice. Okay, fine. We'll so he, Good yes, he was a choreographer and wanted to expand and embellish the prom scenes, but specifically wanted to prove to the Weinsteins, the producers of this film, that different ways in which musical numbers could work in films. That's just, that's another kind of elephant in the room that I, I, the first image of this movie is the Miramax logo, which is something that for me still hangs over the head of it and hangs over any possible production of any sequel. It was really hard for me to extract that from my mind, knowing that a lot of the people in this movie did it as personal favors to Harvey Weinstein. I'm not going to go in. I, I personally didn't research if any of the actresses involved have, have ever made allegations against him or anyone, but it, it did seem unavoidable to me. Yes. Yeah. The names are going to come up, and I'm sorry to have been, been the one that brought them up. So the director wanted to prove to them that this musical number could work, even though they pushed back on it. Uh, he made it. Test audiences didn't understand why it was in there. Regular audiences don't either. Right? <laughs> so to, to fix it, they <laughs> okay. created the Usher character. So Usher and all of his scenes were shot after the fact. Oh my god! As you, yeah. Okay. As so, you can tell. Okay. I'm so glad that 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 came up because as we were watching, I just assumed that Usher was like, "Yeah, I'll do your movie, but you only get me for the day," and that's why his scenes were all yeah. shot so oddly and isolated. Mm -hmm. um, it does make a lot more sense though that they were trying to fix the it movie. It doesn't make the dance sequence work, even though Usher is part of that. It doesn't make it make any more sense. And no. he was another character that I had lots and lots of questions about. Specifically, does he go to class? He appears, no, <laughs> he appears to spend all day in a basement in the school just announcing the goings-on of everyone's personal lives to the entire school all day. Because every time people are walking to class, he's he's talking. Clearly, it's a reference to the Samuel L. Jackson character do the sure. right thing. I could see that. Obviously. Could be, yeah. Uh, Although that yeah. character made far more sense. That's all I had. In terms of my research on Weinstein uh, involvement, they were the ones that pushed back against the dance number, and they were um, overruled. It was actually a bit of autourism. Yeah, really? absolutely. The, the, from the director. Yeah. It's a personal statement that 
yeah. doesn't work. But hey, you know, good for him for, for sure. He's still working for it. So a couple other things I wanted to bring up. Laney's art. Do we have thoughts on Laney's art? Anybody? I love Laney's art. Laney's art. Cool. Okay, got it. Got it. Very cool. I have. I, I. I feel this. This movie has a strong philosophy on art that will carry over into my pitch. Art is the product of honesty, and that Laney's arc is not one of being made over physically, but learning to be honest with herself. Uh, her darkness is a cover for her true feelings, which it takes Freddie Prince's Jr. character to reveal for her and give her the strength to reveal to others. Wow, you are making this movie sound much better than it feels to watch. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think that that is, uh, okay. that is absolutely correct. I, it's very, it's put very on the nose from her art teacher who apparently has <laughs> never liked anything she's done <laughs> until this final project, her senior year, which is what gets her to call yeah. all of the art schools that Laney applied to yes. and encourage yes. that they accept Laney. Which we get no resolution. And also, but I, I don't know. I don't know much about art. I don't personally care for Laney's art. I think there are other. There's other art in the class that looks a lot better. But specifically, the one that gets her the recommendation, which is the one that she does of her mother. I'm glad for her that it is a personal project. But I don't think it looks like anything to write home about. Well, everyone's a critic. <laughs> the rules of the movie, though, the rules being that if you. And here's where I believe that Freddie Prince Jr. is a better artist than her, and that his one attempt at art is a honest expression of himself that also surprises an, a jaded audience and gives them something difficult to digest. But within the rules of the of the universe, he is an he is a gifted artist because he is unguarded. He is able to reveal himself, and then afterwards is very excited and yes. uh, is is very driven by a passion for art that. Ultimately, whether he follows it or or not is something that Lainey has to learn. She is, I think, presented accurately as someone who is lacks the bravery to be successful as an artist. In terms of that scene, the hacky sack scene that we've referred to a few times, who was the lighting guy at the art show? Because that guy really helped Freddie Prince Jr. out. He gave him a, a not only a, a light show behind him, but also a beat and a musical <sighs> underscore upon which he could base a routine. I mean, not to say mm -hmm. that Freddie Prince didn't do something smart with his time, but that really, I think, gave him the boost. Yeah. I guess that's it for me. I guess I'm done hacking away at this thing, unless uh, anything anybody else wants to say about the movie before we roll towards the pitches? I have, I have one major note being I can um, make this movie much better by just switching the casting of Rachel Lee Cook and Clea Duvall. Just cast Clea Duvall as the art girl. Hmm. Infinitely better. See, I think Clea Duvall does such a wonderful job as the art bully. Mm. The way that the bully's written is sort of like, what is this girl's problem? My God, she's psychotic. <laughs> but she sells it. I mean, she is mean, mean, mean. I don't know that Rachel Lee could have hit oh. those, those heights. Hmm. Well, there is, there's a scene, there's a dream sequence set kind of in the, in the, the video footage of the real world in which Rachel Lee Cook plays uh, Freddie Prince Jr. imagining her as a mean girl, and she's right. very effective. That's at. true. That's um, a very good point. I think I, 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 I go either way on whether or not, like, I can suspend my disbelief. I know it's a movie thing, the makeover thing in terms of, whether she's all obviously she's already attractive. I guess I just find Rachel Lee Cook a little bit 
flat as an actress. Mm. Um, and I think the challenging the audience to see what might have been considered a less conventionally attractive woman, who's still a beautiful actress, mm-hmm. go through that transition would have been really effective. Clea Duvall would have very wonderfully sold the hard <laughs> shell that we are told to believe is around Laney. Like that is the hardest thing. That's the thing that Zach first refers to as the thing that he will have difficulty with. She's inaccessible. And I think Clea Duvall would have done that very, very well. I I will say under my actor's notes, I have other actresses considered for the role were Lily Sobieski, Mina Suvari, and Mm. Jordana Brewster. Oh, so I don't think they were ever trying to get away from with the uh, uh, you know conventionally pretty actress. In fact, the uh, yeah. the uh, writer talks about that. It, it was just sort of the the Hollywood no brainer. It was always going to be that way, and so you just either have to accept it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only other actor who made it to the the callbacks for Zach Seiler was Josh Hartnett. Oh. Um, yeah, I, 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 that makes sense. I feel like. Clea Duval would have done well in that role, but in a version of this movie where it was a little more serious. You know, they weren't going yeah. mm-hmm. like rom-com if they were going for more like mm-hmm. a darker vibe. Here's my question. She paints her face like a clown as she's passed out. Right. And then she leaves the bathroom and immediately walks over to a mirror and sees that. And then mm-hmm. we're done with the bit. And then screams. And yeah, then screams. But, but like, it's just... Just go wash it off. Like she didn't even go through the whole party, like schmoozing and get embarrassed. She literally walked out, saw her face was gross, screamed, and well, then I guess turned around and washed first it off. Of all, I think she was on her way out because she was stumbling hardcore uh, out of that place. So really, would have been embarrassing for her already. But I don't. Yeah. I think she was about to head home. I think the well, party was done. I mean, I, okay. So, but even if she goes home, like. It's just a weird prank. And they could have staged it so that it had some, I don't know, actual embarrassment. I just feel like walking out of the bathroom, seeing yourself in the mirror. But it's a prank. First, she was already, but people already saw her, already laughed at her. And it's high school. Those, those things hurt yeah. worse. And it was a prank that was meant something to Lainey because she's the girl who paints clowns and mm-hmm. Lainey's an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it had layers. All right, maybe well, it was craft mm-hmm. painting. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which, oh, oh, really? Which, in, in, a, in a way, was sort of an extra fuck you because it was saying to Cleo I can do what you do. I just choose to do my thing. Can we swear on this? Good detail. Yeah. Um, why are you asking that still? You've as done a this joke, a long time. As a joke. Oh, okay. Because it's so absurd that I, of all people, would be asking that at this point. As a I joke. I see. <laughs> I'll leave that in and we'll see how many people get it. Yeah, write uh, in on Instagram if you thought my... Can we swear on this joke was funny. I do have one more thing I forgot I want to say, because it was something I didn't notice until this time around. Gabrielle Union's character, who I wish I would have written down her name, I had forgotten how wonderful she is. She's so kind. She is the first person to realize that she's all that. (laughs) Definitely. She doesn't like the Taylor's mean. She's the first person to accept Lainey and try to be nice to her and get her, like, and she encourages her about being prom queen. She never does she's like in the mean girl group but is not a mean girl not even close she is uh as responsible for laney's rise as zach uh, and i think my biggest reaction to this movie was that it's it's simultaneously uh wish fulfillment for uh, I, I would believe the intended audience was 
teenage or pre-teenage girls and derives, I think, something that's in common with a lot of movies of adolescence, which is kind of a false drama out of uh, unmotivated meanness, Mm -hmm. which doesn't also, to me, ring true for adolescence. I think adolescence, the pain of adolescence is one of alienation, isolation, and being ignored, as opposed to being targeted by dickheads, personified by the hilarious, long, oopsie, water-spilling scene. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jodie Lynn O'Keefe's Taylor character is just spilling water in her for about 12 seconds, going, oops, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. That I, I agree. I find Gabriel Union's kindness refreshing. Yeah. Actually, I don't, well, I mean, not, to, not that it matters, but I don't think that was water. I think that was an alcoholic beverage. Yeah. Um, yeah, watching, like, these, like, high school movies, like Travis said, I'm, I was homeschooled. So I'm always like leaning over and I'm like, is this accurate? (laughs) Why wouldn't she snack that drink out of her hand the first time she spilled it? In this movie, much like the pube eating scene, it really, I feel like, wants you to assume that because someone is popular, they really do have power. And sort of as Mm -hmm. Adam put it in his explanation of what happens in the movie, Zach is the king of the high school. In sort of a literal sense, it's it's almost as if that royalty of being popular and being good looking is in itself a power that cannot be fought against. And an artistic choice that I also wanted to give the movie a big couple pats on the back for that Adam already referred to is the dream sequence stuff. When Taylor is recounting how she and Brock Hudson met and they themselves are walking through the memory. I, I eat that shit yeah, up. I really love it when movies do that. Yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah. Which is such a stretch because they didn't need to have Freddie Prince Jr. there on that day. They could have said, go home, We're not, you don't need to be here. But even having him in that scene, it's that extra step. It's a little bit of craft. It, yeah, I, I agree. I, I noticed that and, and, and kind of dug that. Yeah, yeah. And I like that they pick up on it later, as you said, with the scene in the, the real world. The, the dream sequence, the nightmare. A, a, a scene like all other scenes that Matthew Lillard kills. Okay, so before getting into the pitches, real quick, I wanted to go into other sequels that exist for this movie. An upcoming announced movie set to come out next year, we'll see, of course. He's all that. A remake to be directed by Mark Waters, director of Freaky Friday and Mean Girls, Cha-Ching, starring Addison Rae. I don't know her. She's a TikTok star, so we'll see about that. And to be written by R. Lee Fleming Jr., the writer. She's all that. Good for him. Well, he probably went like, great, I already wrote this. (laughs) Her name will just be Zacky, and (laughs) he'll be Lane. But yeah, I am curious to see how his style translates to a modern audience. Seems like he's going to need maybe another M. Night (laughs) rewrite. Oh, yeah. Always. (laughs) okay so then into the questions should this movie have a sequel no no yeah (laughs) no i'm thinking uh yeah both of these questions are going to have pretty uninteresting answers uh and then if you're going to do it sequel or prequel what's the sweet spot i'm gonna say sequel not much time out in a prequel besides maybe about laney's mom but she was a baby so don't know what that would be yeah Mm. Let me maybe kind of talk about the reason why this came to my mind. I think there's two. One is that it has a title that lends itself to sequel titles. They've already done He's All That. You'll you'll hear my title. It's a declarative statement. And just like with Meet the Fuckers, there's a lot of opportunity to add or adjust words or pronouns to make sequels. 
Uh, it also, like we've said, is so simple that similar to Terminator has does, even though it's not needed, lend itself to that satisfying thing that sequels can do using kind of Terminator 2 as an example of shifting everything a few degrees into which now new characters are potentially in previous roles that they were in than before. Mm. I think you're right. I think all of the characters in this movie, a big part of this movie is that not, not, none of them know exactly who they are yet, which is definitely a part of adolescence. And they're all sort of still, even when the movie ends, they are still forming themselves. There's no finality to yes. the decisions that these characters make. Um, obviously actors age out and it doesn't work in live action indefinitely. Um, but I also was kind of struck by the fact that there was, this movie was probably very cheap and made a lot of money and the fact that it was never franchise they, they could they easily could have said hey let's all, let's all go up to vancouver uh we got six weeks let's make another one even straight to vhs i mean the fact even the fact that there were so many american pie sequels shows that they were sort of doing mm-hmm. it but interesting that there that there was that it was just sort of done in one they left it alone until now yeah a yeah. legacy i think it's as good a time as any to roll into the pitches we got our studio exec ready do you, with all your power, want to decide who goes when, Travis? Oh, um, no. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's do, I want to think, I think I want to save Adam for, no, don't save him for last, because he's got the, we'll save him for middle. Okay. Lauren wants to go first, so <laughs> Paul. Okay. Shouldn't well, have, yeah. you give her force in, me, force in my hand. Yeah. You force my hand. It strikes. Nobody forces the studio executive's hand, Travis. You're going fourth just for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you 20 minutes of silence before you can go. <laughs> <laughs> I pick the silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, um, I, when I sent out the ringer thing and my, my note was, she's a lot. I, <laughs> Okay, glad, I'm glad you liked it. I just wanted to make sure to clarify that I wasn't saying that about Lainey. I think Lainey is a perfectly lovely character. I was just saying the movie is a lot. I didn't even consider that as a sequel title, but that just proves my point. There's so many possibilities. She's yeah. a lot. She's a lot. <laughs> okay, Lauren, are you ready? Okay. Look, I kicked your ass in third grade. I'll do it again. Starts the credits, a la the original. We watch hands painting a painting, except this painting is kind of crap. Um, again, all of the original, we pan through a classroom. We see various styles of, of a still life. It's a basket of fruit. We stop on a subpar, simplistic painting. We swing around to reveal Lainey regarding the painting with a pained look. Zach pops up into, pops up into frame next to her. What do you think? Nice. It's his painting. Mm. <laughs> Teacher calls mm-hmm. class, tells everyone to have a good Christmas break, and reminds them that their final projects are due first day back. No excuses. I want to see the real you, Zach, she says. <laughs> Every art teacher. <laughs> uh, Lainey and Zach go home for the holidays. Zach keeps picking fights with his father and his choice of school, but finds solace being back in town with his friends. Lainey is happy to see her family, but still doesn't gel with Zach's buddies. Lainey falls back into her reclusive art routine while Zach hangs out with friends, and Lainey worries that maybe that they're... Their romance is just like a high school fling and it's not going to survive in college. Zach's father invites Lainey and her family over for a Christmas dinner and a meltdown commences. Zach blows up at his father, then at Lainey when she interjects. 
Tempers continue to rise until Lainey and her family excuse themselves. Zack blames her father for their exit, accusing him of judging the Boggs's lower status and for being rude. Zack's, Zack's father reminds Zack that he himself invited them over, and any illusion of classism is projected on Zack's end. Classic Zack. Um, Zack realizes right, and he goes to apologize to Lainey. Lainey says Zack's been acting like an ass since they got home for Christmas, and that she needs some space. Montage of Zack looking sad. Lainey working on art and looking sad. <laughs> Zach sad more. He looks to the empty canvas in his room for his final project. He starts to work on it. Works on it more. You know, montage. He's working on it. We never see what's on the canvas. <laughs> Zach's father comes to Zach, tells him he saw the painting. Zach defensively says, pretty crappy, huh? And Zach's dad says it's a fine painting, that he's proud of him for choosing an art school, and that he should keep at it. It's a nice moment. Mm-hmm. Zach's dad asks him why he's home on New Year's Eve. Shouldn't you be somewhere, son? Zach grabs the painting and goes to Laney's. He apologizes. Laney, I'm not sure who I am yet, but I know I want to be the guy standing next to you. Oh. Zach shows Laney the painting. It's of her, with him by her side, with the ring taped to the hand. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. All right. Midnight bells chime. Laney accepts the proposal. Yay. Bonus credit scene, Zach's painting earns a passing grade of a C. <laughs> What's the... You have a title. He's all that. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> I do yeah. like the role Absolutely. reversal. Laney is the successful yeah. one in school. He's the one whose dad has to tell him to go out. It's interesting. I definitely took the line he says about considering art school into account, but I also took it as, you could take it either way. You could take it that he's going to follow that thread or you could take it that it's, he's joking. But I, but it, it makes sense either way because that character doesn't make decisions very easily. Yeah. He, he's a real Bella Swan. Is he? Kind of. Um, no. <laughs> I think she makes decisions <laughs> too easily. That's my thing. About That's Bella. true. Yeah. That's true. Oh, we should do it. Wow. Yeah. I, I did realize I wanted to ask real quick, Lauren, Zach's buddies, who are we talking about? Is Dean still in the picture or um, we're talking more Preston vibe? But yeah, I guess like the, the, the crew, the whole crew's back together. Dean is maybe a better person yeah. now since he got deafened. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. he can hang out with um, her brother. All right. So then, Adam, I guess you're up. I am ready to win right. you guys are. So, can I have the last dance? Okay, so many of the decisions made in the casting and uh, script writing of this film were made in an alternate universe circa 2000-2001, considering who would be available, who would be too expensive, and who would be distracted from other projects. So I'm just going to go in with the title, and you can extrapolate based on that information, based on what characters are here. This movie is called She's All That 2, T-O-O. Tagline, this time all bets are off. We open in Sacred Heart High School, Los Angeles. Max Seiler is an outcast. We recall that's Anna Paquin's character from the first movie. She's sure of herself, but she's not accepted by others. She is, as she stated in the first movie, bored with going to school with 500 chicks. 
She is back at home. There's a shrine to her older brother, a former prom king, an all-star soccer player, and now a king of the school at Yale. It's about two years later, so it's her senior year of high school. Mac's dad reminds her, honey, did you sign up for the SAT prep course? Sure, dad, who could live up to her brother? Uh, maybe it's better to not try at all. So we really see a young woman who, though confident, as we established in the first movie, just needs something, needs a sense of uh, community. She, she is clearly uh, you know, needing some of that. So we cut to the Los Angeles High School for Creative and Performing Arts. Hab has just been defeated at the school's first art competition of the year, and he's also bored. Art is dead. He seems like anybody could be an artist. His rival, his ex-girlfriend, played by Catherine Isabel, star of Ginger Snaps, in her first American role, says, you want to bet? She asks, I bet that we can make anybody an artist by Christmas break. The bet is on. Now we have to find a contender. We have a montage of weird people, which we can get some notes on. And then we say, how about her? The Catholic school across the street? If she could be an artist, then the art world is doomed. We cut immediately to Mac, who have not... Uh, value, he values honesty as we've established in the first movie honesty and art go hand in hand he has immediately told her that, that there's a bet he doesn't like secrets and we bet that you could be an artist she laughs it off she takes it as a joke maybe I'll just do this to show them all up so she goes home she gets she already has art supplies she has tons of art of uh, makeup equipment she makes it she makes a painting she goes to the art competition she's in last place Max Seiler who cares she tries to laugh it off Hab comes by, he's supportive. We may recognize him, possible casting either Hayden Christensen, who was also available at the time. So let's just picture Hayden Christensen for the for the purpose of things. But he's supportive. He says, you know, I thought you did well, but I, I just didn't see anything in your art. And maybe next time, Max alone, she's isolated. No one showed up, not even any of her friends, not her dad. But then a familiar face, Blaney Boggs. She is still in LA, but as we learned from one of her rivals who now works as a, a student teacher at the school, it's Clay Duvall. She's back. She's still a bully. I thought I saw you selling paintings outside of that uh, Chinese restaurant down in La Brea. Uh, she laughs her off. You're still a loser. Mac, Mac says, Laney, I, I just can you give me an honest opinion? What do you think of my art? And Laney says, the problem isn't that it's bad art. It's that it's dishonest. It's a lie. There's nothing of you in it. I know well what it means to use art as a, as a, as a barrier to, to hide yourself, and you, you expose nothing of yourself. And that's when Mac finally realizes that she wants something. That's when she sees at the poster for the L.A. School District Interpretive Dance Competition. I'm doing it, she says, but only if you train me. That's when we transition into Act 2, when this movie starts to resemble Karate Kid, and that we have an art training montage of Lainey taking Mac to galleries, street theater, improv shows. She shows her how to move her way up. We see, La we see Mac doing better in small art competitions. We see Lainey's shop, which is a few canvases. It's kind of embarrassing. We realize that though she learned the lesson of being honest, she maybe needs someone to support her. She's trying to do it alone. And as this movie will teach us, no one can be successful alone. Lainey reveals to her a dangerous technique called breaking the fourth wall, which she warns her that's only a last resort. You shouldn't do it. You're, you're too inexperienced. If you do it, you could go nuclear and lose the entire competition. So forget about it. It's time for the semi-regionals. Lainey invites her dad. He's surprised she cares so much about something. Hab is there. He's amazing. He's like a local performance art hunk, if there ever was one. That's when... The, the rival character, we'll call her Monet, shows her art piece. It's just a spotlight shining on Mac. It's called Nothing Girl. Mac is devastated because she's finally trying and she's just getting laughed at by all these art snobs. But that's when her dad shows up. I never saw the side of you before, honey. Uh, he's really proud of her. Uh, Lainey reminds her that sometimes, as we learned from the first movie, when we open up the good parts of ourselves, we have to let the pain in, too. Max says, I never wanted anything before. I don't know if I should do this full competition. I think I'm going to get destroyed. But I want this, and I don't know if I'm worth it. Am I? 
Am I worth all this? And Lainey looks at her and she says, you fucking bet. <laughs> Third act, we cut to Christmas time. It's the Los Angeles, uh, the big competition we've been lo- moving up for. It's basically just the end of Karate Kid, but with interpretive dance. We get a bunch, you know, montage again of Lainey moving up through uh, easily defeatable rivals. E- everyone is there to support her, her dad, Lainey, her mentor, interpretive dance competition montage. Max doing it. She even beats the mean girl who uh, was was so mean to her this whole time. And that's down to this one final competition. It's Mac versus have. Is she going to hold back and, and choose to be a lesser of a person to impress a boy? He's good, though. He's not going to hold back either. That's when she does it, Lainey says. Oh, my God. What's she doing? She realizes it. The judge is realizing it. She's breaking the fourth wall. She's going full meta. The judges are amazed. Max seems to be interpreting her entire life. A girl in the shadow of her brother. A girl making mistakes and being kicked out of school. Now she's an artist. Now she feels seen. Oh my god, she's going into the future. She's imagining an ideal future that we know can never be. She's growing older, struggling. Her kids are artists. She's dying. A full life lived. All eyes go to the Russian judge. A single tear rolls down her face. A perfect score. She's done it. Max Seiler is the best artist in the world. Everyone is proud of her. Hab is proud of her. Two months later, we cut to the LA High School for the Creative and Performing Arts. Hab is bored. He's still bored. Art is dead. Then he's joined in the hall by his new classmate and girlfriend, Mac. She goes there now. They kiss. They've come together. Mac travels to the the new spot that she's secured with some funding from Dad. It's a new art space that she shares with Lainey. Lainey's finally getting it together and learning to trust people. She just needed some help. No one can do it alone. And then someone shows up. Who is it? It's Freddie Prince Jr. It's him. He's back. Zach's back. He was on his way back to Yale. He was there for Christmas break and just wanted to say he missed her. The girls in New York can't measure up to you. Lenny says the girls in L.A. don't measure up to you either. He sees an art piece. What's it called, he says. She says, a long story. The end. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that's... Wait, you nice. said there was, you have a trilogy, right? There's another one coming. But, you know, I'm open to the, you know, I, I want to work with the studio on this. I, I don't want to push too hard for it. No, no, as the studio exec, I was told coming into this meeting, and maybe I had bad information from my assistant, Paul, that you had uh, a trilogy in mind for this, for these movies. Um, so I guess that was just bad information hey. on my part. But hey, if you're open to it, I'm not going to say no. Well, I, let's just say I, w- because I was expecting that, I did have the title in mind. I thought I really hope the third one is called Threes All That." Ooh. Um, so just you know, put that in your back pocket. Let it percolate. Uh, I thought that was delightful, Paul. I really think we should not continue to have guests on who are this much better at pitching than we are. It's starting to make us look bad. Oh, us. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh no 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 i think that that was uh outstanding i i am uh that was uh that was very impressive and very energetic delightfully told i was i was there yeah i prepared way too much as you guys have seen on zoom i have a notebook um so i did a little looking around and i can say you could probably expect the background of this as based on who's available right now i know zoe Saldana's is around Ooh. I know that Ben Foster's around. He could probably play a good art school dude. I heard oh, about yeah. this guy, James Franco. He definitely could fit in the background there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, there's an actress named Liz Applin who was on Freaks and Geeks, so I think we could find a part for. I think we could see if Usher's available. Not sure, but if not, we could probably find another. Maybe Cisco. He might be around. I heard he wants to do a teen movie. Yeah. Um, and also, I think this universe precludes... Obviously, Anna Paquin doesn't do X-Men. 
And I don't think that uh, Not Another Teen Movie exists either. I think this borrows the resources from that in a certain way. It also prevents 9-11. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, the whole pitch, and, and also Anna Paquin being front and center. Her character was great. She was at her all-time most uh, wonderful, lovely, charming in her in that era, in my opinion, and uh, I would love to see that character, a lot more of that character. It was essentially doing S. Darko, but really, really well. Um, <laughs> Let's hear your pitch, Paul. Um, I'm really right. excited so about So my yours. pitch... Yeah, 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 earthquakes! Right about now, we're gonna do that dance I taught you! My pitch is a modern sequel, and the premise came from me wanting to be able to title it A Bag of Chips. Um, I could... Yes, yes. She's all in a bag of chips. Yes, so at, at some point, some entertainment uh, news person or something would have to say she's all that and it's sequel a bag of chips and i just really like that idea uh, i won't hold that against you let's hear let's hear what you've got okay zach seiler gets jury duty <laughs> <laughs> while he's waiting to be called in for jury selection he goes to the vending machine where he sees a woman try to purchase a bag of chips that gets caught and doesn't fall the woman shakes the machine, but no dice. She walks away in a huff. Zack purchases the same chips, gets both bags, then pursues the woman to give it to her. Turns out, it's Laney Boggs. The backstory here that we get filled in is that they broke up years ago after Zack followed her to art school, settling for a community college for himself so he could be in the same area. Ever aimless, he eventually dropped out and took a crappy office job in order to support Laney's budding art career. Though these were all his choices, his resentment toward her for having made them is ultimately what ruined their relationship. Mm -hmm. Now as they catch up, Zach claims to have gotten himself together. He's a soccer coach, which is something he's always wanted to do. They get selected for the same jury in what is set to be a multi-week case. Laney insists that they shouldn't talk while the case is going on, but Zack is not easily swayed. When we see his home life, it is revealed that he lied. He still works in the same crappy office job. He lives with his sister, Mac, uh, crashes on her couch after a divorce. And the only soccer coaching he does is yelling at the TV. He is still completely incapable of making decisions. The only choice that was ever easy for him was Laney. Lainey, meanwhile, owns her own art gallery, while Simon, her younger brother, now co-owns the pool cleaning business with Dad. So, it's Dr. Pool and Son. Now, over the course of the trial, Zach and Lainey reconnect, uh, much to the interest and, in some cases, annoyance of their fellow jurors. I want for there to be one scene in which the alternate, who has to stick around, you know, every day, even though they're not actually on the jury... I want that to be sort of the person that Zach buddies up to. And I want Zach to be talking to him about Lainey and say, you know, how much he wants to be back with her. And I want the alternate to say something like, I bet you could make that happen. And then Zach gets really offended and is like, you can't bet on stuff like this. These are people, blah, blah, blah. And then have the person be like, whoa, <laughs> I was just saying like, good luck. Or Do you, just do you have a casting in mind for that character? I didn't, but I'm going to say Michael Sarah. Oh, okay. The trial, what the trial is about, I, I kind of want to keep it vague. 
it, it doesn't seem like it's anything super serious. It's just something like a landlord tenant dispute or something, but it's like, it's got a lot of evidence and it's going to be going on for a while. Once deliberations begin, Zach fears things will wrap up too soon before he has a chance to win Lainey's heart. And so he argues against everyone, 12 Angry Men style, to keep it going. <laughs> because the, he keeps the trial going. Gotta get this going. My girl. Before, because the trial keeps going on like this, outside of it, Zach loses his job because he's not going back to work. And this prompts him, along with influence from Laney, to visit his old friend Preston, who is a successful college soccer coach, and ask him if he might give him a trial run being his assistant coach or something like that. Sort of like ask his ask him for help. He's starting to get his life back together, getting his own place, you know, ma- making moves. Somehow, Laney uncovers one of Zach's lies and confronts him, calling him out on prolonging the trial to get a shot that he never had with her. Devastated by this, Zach stays home the next day, prompting the alternate to step in, and then the trial is able to end. Sometime later, Laney finds Zach and sees that things are getting better for him. They talk things out and kiss. A few years go by of them being together, which gives Zach time to fully realize his own dreams of becoming a soccer coach. Uh, and we see Laney cheering for his team in the, in the stands. That night, at their home, Zach gives her a bag of chips. She opens it to find an engagement ring inside. That's great. Nice. Uh, uh, before I decide the fates of all, what remind me what my executive powers are here. So you can do whatever you want. Like, I, I mean, I know this isn't what normally happens, but let's say we're all in the same room. We've all stood up with dioramas one by one. And now you're, you can put us together. You can take this from my pitch, put it in his pitch. You can, I mean, oh, okay. I know, I know we've got one modern and two yeah. direct. So that's might be a little yeah. difficult. But. You're, you're in a temporal nexus of some point where different pitches from different time periods and different timelines have converged. Uh, so you are now in charge of the time space continuum. That's not And right. you could also like make a trilogy if you want. You oh, know, okay. I you, see. You well, can, just keep in mind if you, you don't greenlight my movie, you cause 9 11 to happen. Uh, well, I certainly am not going to be tempering with anyone's artistic visions or combining, or I'm not going to like prune those hedges because I think these were all really solid and true to their voice of the, um, of the pitcher. Also, I think it's not as much fun if there's not losers. So there's definitely going to be some broken hearts. Paul, I really liked what I really like about your pitch is I think there's a lot of fun to be had in the courtroom with, especially because I do love courtroom stuff. But if we're not going to, you know, really get into what that trial is, every time we go to the courtroom, it can be some new weird joke. I sort of saw it as being consistent with the way the first movie makes jokes. Yeah which is just kind of goofily from anywhere, wherever they are. Yeah. So I was thinking, yeah. That's um, great. I'd like to present evidence, uh, example B, and that's just like a herd of penguins or something. <laughs> Every time you see new evidence, like, yeah. what is this crime? Yeah, exactly. You know what the crime is. I would want to do something where, like, every witness that they call is some stunt casting actor, but then, like, the final one, <laughs> it is just whatever actor. Like, that's just Hannibal Burris playing himself. Like, what has he got to do yeah. with the crime? <laughs> Um, yeah, and I don't. I certainly wouldn't want too much of the focus to be on the crime being very serious, and the the idea that these people's love story is going to ruin a man's right. life or something like of that. Of course. So. Uh, I really liked your pitch, Lauren, because it 
it makes it a holiday movie, and there's no reason to do that, and I really think that's a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Notoriously, as you know, do not like pointless Christmas movies. You do not like pointless Christmas movies, so this was quite an oh, achievement for you. Yeah. Uh, but I think, obviously, you know, Adam's got to be the clear winner. That's about enough for this. Ding, ding, yeah. ding. Yeah, no, excellent. I am so relieved. I would have really been embarrassed to put that much effort in and lose. One thing I noticed was all of us either avoided or uh, didn't include at all the idea of betting on someone's awareness of their status. All of us, there is deception in Paul's pitch, oh. uh, but none of us leaned into the idea that someone is made a bet of and then manipulated. That seemed to be something that all of us just steered away from, which I find interesting. I did feel the need to reference the bet in I some way. I like that a lot. That was cute. Yeah. I like that. I, I I am with this studio exec here. I think I think you crushed it, buddy. That's yeah. I Maybe. wish that movie was around. And honestly, Maybe. Hayden Christensen, I I scoffed, but I see him in it very comfortably. He's he's still going to do episode Star Wars, but this he squeezes this in. It's he's not you know he he has a central role, but he's not there that much. What I like um, is that this movie will do so well that we will finally get that jumper sequel. I was promised. Mm. <laughs> Dude, jumpers dope. No, it's not. Wait, wait, wait. Because everybody loves She's All That too so much. Christian's got heat. He's back. Stranger things have happened, guys. This is these are the types of things that would happen if Travis was a studio exec. Jumper two, Hayden Christensen a poppin'. I'll uh-huh. kind of it'd be a different uh-huh. world. If everybody's okay with it, shall we move into unsung heroes? Hit it, Paul Jr. <laughs> Unsung hero. Oh, yeah, have we got yeah. any? Yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah, I have Lainey's pita hat. Mm. <laughs> I do have a little fun fact about that. It was made on the day with supplies from Michael's craft store. It looked like um, it was cute. I mean, yeah, I could tell. Like, I could go to Michael's right now and pick up what they use for that. And funnily enough, that scene—that's the scene where I liked Lainey least. Because she was so rude to that customer. She was! Like, finish up with the customer in a second and then go talk to yeah. the guy. If you're going to be rude to one of the two people in this... Yeah. Because yeah. I definitely feel like you're, you know, you're meant to accept Lainey as a person who is kind to those who deserve kindness. Mm-hmm. And uh, But in that scene, uh, she was needlessly rude. And I understand that she's having trouble computing the popular guy coming to see her type of thing, but... I didn't didn't play for me. I liked her the least in that scene because I hate the working class. <laughs> My I only have one. Uh, the scene where Dean is revealing his evil plan in the bathroom at prom, and Preston, who I included in my movie, and I also didn't say. I to- it's like I remember so many characters in the movie, and I didn't remember him, but he brings so much joy and charisma so mm-hmm. i feel bad for that i really like yeah. that character but he he says like i feel a bet coming on but laney boggs is not going to give you any he says that line yeah yeah so then he leaves and then dean is like still trying to save he's like whatever man i'm gonna get some or whatever and then that other guy walks by and just scoffs at him that guy is an unsung hero really added to that moment i also love that he didn't even look like a jock he just looked like a regular kid, and he got to laugh in Paul Walker's face, which, yeah, which I really liked. 
I would say my favorite bit in the whole movie was Kevin Pollack giving incorrect Jeopardy answers. God. <laughs> He's so funny. Yeah, that it, was I worked. I what's really that? loved the the kid who's cleaning who finally gives a correct answer the way he yeah. delivered it like he's just so been so frustrated with this guy for confidently yeah. muttering the wrong answers um apparently that joke uh, is an ongoing joke of Kevin Pollock's that he did as a character in a 1997 movie called Truth or Consequences New Mexico never seen that movie never heard of it but it's apparently a joke that Kevin Pollock just brought from oh. that into this movie well, now but, we need to look into Kevin Pollock's stand-up history and see if that's like one of his. It's bits. a solid bit. I it I only one of them didn't hit for me, which was the Marx brother, and he guessed Lamo, which I hated that because it was like, okay, well that's not a real answer. What I want is you to be wrong and earnest every time, not right, yeah. just saying things. But every other one of them got. Every other what one was your pitch for a Mark, a joke Marx brother? Answer. Oh, I wouldn't say joke Marx brother. I would just say the wrong one. I would just right. say Groucho or Chico, you know, and then oh, it right. turns out to be Harpo. I, see. I, I think the earnestness is important. Like the answer needs to sound like he believes it is absolutely correct. Yeah. And then it's just never correct. Uh, okay, guys. Well, this was great. You did some great execing. That's how I do it when I'm in power. Benevolent, mm. but firm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all going to be cut. Let's get into the wrap up. Thanks for listening. Uh, thank you guys as always for your time. Be safe and uh, think of others if you if yes, you could please. Yeah, you know? always very nice advice. And if you yeah. and if you do have any pitch ideas for threes, all that you know, <laughs> right in. Definitely, definitely. This was a lot of fun. I'm really glad that you were, were able to remember my, uh, my my pitch a few months ago and, and find time for it. Look forward to keep listening and uh, maybe uh, come back in a, in a few months with uh, with another uh, with another idea sometime. Hey, man, thank you for writing. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. It's just great to see you in general. I'm yeah, sorry. Nice uh, to see you. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sorry I said your profession wrong. That was really rude of me. Sorry I didn't know where you lived. Lots of things I'm not proud of here, but you're still the same great guy that I remember as far as I can tell. I appreciate so. that. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, I'm now going to um, not spend the next week uh, emotionally investing in an imaginary sequel to a teen movie I don't like from 21 years ago. Well, I gotta tell you, you sold it so well, and you even sold to me that you liked the movie, or at least saw a lot in it that not a lot of people give it credit for, so I, I, I'm intimidated to have you back. Just likes to try to think of making us sound bad. Uh, step up your game, guys. <laughs> yeah. Smash that like button and subscribe. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta do more of that. Follow-up showdown. Let's get into what movie we're talking about today. Beetlejuice. We are joined by Zach and Becca White. We did all feel the uh, connection to the Maitlands. And I'm like, wait, did we die in March? That's a very good possibility. I have asked that question many times.